Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, Europe has emerged as an unlikely frontrunner among global stock markets in the past year, often overlooked in favour of the rockstar companies of the US. Leading continental companies are now enjoying an extended period of success. It's now the time for UK investors to reassess Europe. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Over the past seven or eight months, an unlikely frontrunner has jumped to the top of the global stock market leaderboard. Europe has spent much of the past two decades playing catch-up to the dominant US market and has lagged the UK for much of that time as well. Now, though, the continent is enjoying a prolonged period in the sun and share prices there have grown by a third since October and in that time twice as fast as their counterparts in the US and the UK. So often ignored by UK investors is now the time to reassess Europe's stock markets. To answer that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Um, I'm going to say, Tom, that we are recording remotely this week. So uh, if listeners do uh, find a little bit of unevenness in the sound quality, they'll have to forgive us this one time. Um, But let's get into this conversation today, Tom. I'm going to confess that this resurgence for European markets has somewhat passed me by. Uh, Is that perhaps symptomatic of the blind spot that a few of us do have when it comes to European shares? Yeah, that's a very interesting point, actually, Ed. I I think it had probably passed me by uh, a little bit. Uh, And I think you're right that we do. uh, I mean, so much commentary on on the stock market is focused on the US that I think, you know, you'd have to be pretty uninterested in the stock market not to know, you know, whether the S&P 500 or the the Nasdaq was, was, was moving up and down. And I guess in recent years, we've also focused a lot on emerging markets and China. And of course, you know, because of quite natural home bias, we we also, uh, you know, are totally aware of what's going on with, with the FTSE 100. But right on our doorstep is this very big uh, stock market that, that we do tend to sort of blissfully ignore for, for, for most of the time. So, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting observation. Yeah, and of course, it's well, we really speak of Europe as a sort of an amalgam, don't we, of many stock markets. I mean, there's big economies, you know, economies bigger than the UK, for example, that comprise the European market. But is that perhaps one of the reasons that you're talking often about a sort of composite of a really varied entire continent, actually? Yeah, that's right. I mean, when we talk about the the European stock market, we would uh, we would tend to use a uh, uh, a European a pan European index, something like the the Stocks six hundred or or mm-hmm. something like the MSCI Europe uh, index. And you're right; it's it's not it, it doesn't really feel like a stock market for the good reason that it's not. It is an amalgam of shares quoted on a number of different markets because we we have the the. The, the DAX market in the DAX index in, in, in Germany and the CAC index in um, uh, in France and there, and you know there are indices in in Italy and Spain and they've put them all together and you get this European mm. index but kind of doesn't feel like one market does it? No, it doesn't. And, and so let's put some um, of this performance or recent performance in in context, Tom. How well have European European shares been doing, and how does their performance compare to other global markets? Yes, well, I mean, you you hinted at this in the in the introduction. It's done extremely well in the in the last six months or so. In part, of course, that reflects uh, the fact that it did extremely badly in the previous uh, six months. So, if you if you roll back a, a, a year, you know, we are we're we're 
two, three months uh, after the invasion of Ukraine, uh, the, the, the mood music around Europe generally uh, in economic terms, but also in stock market terms, uh, was, very, was very downbeat, very negative. Uh, we were, you know, coming into summer with the anticipation that come the autumn, uh, we would have a real problem with high energy prices, um, you know, question marks, you know, even about supply. Would we have enough yeah. gas to heat, heat our homes? I mean, you've got to remember that this was the this was the narrative uh, a year ago. So it's not surprising that in the in the the, the six months or so from February to or eight months, February to October, uh, the European stock market fell by about thirty percent. But since then, there's been a spectacular uh, recovery. Uh, it's up by about a third. That's twice as good as the markets in uh, in the US and and the UK, uh, for example. And 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 what's caused that? has been a, a, a reassessment of that gloomy narrative. I mean, essentially, what happened was we had a, we had a very mild winter. Um, it enabled all the storage tanks of gas to be filled up well ahead of time. There was never really any particular shortage of, uh, of energy. And that changed the story completely um, uh, because the, 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 the widely held assumption that Europe was heading for a, a nasty recession just kind of evaporated um, uh, from from the new year onwards, or from October onwards, and the stock market responded in kind. Yeah, and and, and uh, you know, looking a bit sort of um, further out, you know, long over a longer time horizon, I was looking at the performance of of European shares versus the US and the UK um, this century, I suppose you could say, and I think that was the Euro stocks uh, fifty, perhaps I was looking at, yeah. and. You know, you can see, I mean, the, the American market, we all know, has done incredibly well, incredible growth in that time. Uh, UK at a, at a sort of index, headline index level is, is pretty much level, um, you know, versus the, the highs at the start of the century. But Europe is still some way lower than where it was. And, it's, and it sort of occurred to me that in that time, you know, all markets, all economies have things to worry about and crises that affect them all. It feels like Europe's sort of been affected by all the big ones, you know, global financial crisis and pandemics and all the rest of it and the energy issues of the past couple of years. But it always seems to find something specific to it as well. I mean, we had a big debt crisis in Europe. And as you say, at the start of the the, the Russia-Ukraine war, it was very much felt that Europe would be um, on the on the sort of sharpest end of that as well. It, it's had many obstacles as a stock market. Yeah, I guess it's had all the same obstacles as uh, as all the other markets. But on the other side of the equation, there hasn't really ever been a sort of really strong narrative for investors to coalesce around in, in a positive way. So over the last 15 years or so since the financial crisis, we've had this technology, this growth stock story, which has really driven the US market. Um, the European market, a bit like the UK market, is just not not uh, as well endowed with those kinds of technology uh, stocks. And so uh, it's had a mishmash of different stories going on at the same time, but none of them have really captured the imagination in the way that tech did in, in the US. Yeah, and, and, and you've written this week, Tom, about, about the European market in general, but in particular highlighting the changing face of, of the leadership within European stock markets. And, and you sort of make the point that probably people's preconceptions about 
the biggest companies in Europe, they might be a little bit out of date these days, right? Yes, because if you go back um, 10, 10 or 15 years, the 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 European markets were were dominated by uh, a few big sort of quite cyclical um, value focused uh, sectors like banking, uh, car manufacturer, of course, um, energy, basic resources um, stocks, none of which are particularly exciting um, uh, for investors. And there has been a big shift, actually, in the makeup of of the European markets because the, the the leading companies in the in the European markets, which actually still do account for a very big slug of of um, the total value of the European markets, are quite well diversified across um, a range of uh, of different uh, sectors. We've got luxury goods companies, we've got pharmaceuticals mm. companies, we've got banks, we've got uh, you know there is a mix, and there are even some technology stocks in there. It's it's quite a well diversified market now. Indeed. And, and Tom, uh, you know, to sort of, to let's say, mark this, this new leadership of European shares, there's a new acronym, isn't there, from our friends at <laughs> Goldman Sachs, um, who, whose stock in trade really is to come up with um, funky sounding ways to describe uh, publicly listed companies at the end of the day. What have they come up with this time in connection with Europe? Yeah, so I mean, uh, Goldman Sachs never, never shy of a, <laughs> of a snappy um, marketing acronym. Let, let's face it; they, you know, they're responsible for the BRICS and um, and uh, and the various spin-offs that we had f- from the BRICS along the way. So the, the, the fangs? One, Did they do the fangs? That, I don't know. Well, do you, I, do you know, I don't know whether they were responsible <laughs> for the fangs, but it it sounds it, it, the the finger they does point towards them, doesn't it? they? Could have done, yeah. So the latest one that they that they've come up with. Which I came across in a in a, in a recent um, uh, note from uh, from the bank was the granolas, um, and th- this is it, it, it's a slightly tortured um, acronym. This one because it's basically <laughs> it, it's it, it's based on the first letters of the the top eleven. Uh, the 11 biggest European companies, and they are the likes of um, GSK and Roche and ASML, the semiconductor company, Nestle. You can see where we're going with this, Gerr um, yeah. So this is, how, this is how we get to granola. Um, uh, the O, by the way, is L'Oreal. Um, and, yeah, I know. Uh, I've really put you on the spot, haven't I, Tom? Because I know that you haven't got these in front of you. <laughs> There's yeah, quite a lot slight, of them to remember. Slightly um, different to remember these, but um, and then there are 11 of them but um yeah that's where we that's where we get granola from now the interesting thing about this this group of companies as i say is it's quite diverse it's not like the fangs which are basically all in in a not completely the same line of business, but there is a sort of technology uh, link to them all. I mean, we've got pharmaceuticals companies here, uh, technology, um, healthcare, uh, luxury goods, um, uh, software. Um, but the interesting thing is that 11 companies, just 11 companies, account for a quarter of the total value of all European uh, stock markets. And even more interestingly, over the, in recent years, they have accounted for the lion's share, or they continue to account for the lion's share of the growth and performance of uh, stock markets. So um, headline sales for those 11 companies, 6% a year at the moment. Headline earnings growth, 12% a year. If you take those companies away and you look at the other companies within the, the main European 
European uh, benchmarks, there's very little growth at all. So they are in the same way that the fangs completely drive the US stock market. These granolas completely drive the, the, the European stock market. And to come back to your original point, is this is something that... I and, I, and I look at stock markets all the time, this is not something that I'd really appreciated. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, yeah, looking at those those companies, I mean, those figures are really startling, aren't they? Particularly uh, the, the figures for sort of forward, where the growth is going to come from in terms of earnings Yeah, in, in the European stock market. And, and of course, in case people don't know, what, what companies will do is project forecasts for their, for their earnings. And so it's possible to sort of aggregate those and, and sort of work out you know which companies are going to potentially um, account for growth in 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 a stock market, and you're right. I mean, there are some 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 sectors and some companies that are very familiar. You know, Nestle is very familiar. The big pharmaceutical companies, um, Roche is in there, but yeah, there are these companies that are more pointed to the developed or sorry, the developing or the emerging world. Right, you've got. Um, uh, ASML, which is a very large semiconductors company in, involved in the, the manufacture of computing, of course. LVMH, another acronym, but that's a, a luxury goods brand. L'Oreal, which is um, well, a sort of sort of half con- consumer uh, staple, but also half luxury. Yeah, cosmetics. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All pointed to this growth of, of emerging markets, new middle class uh, consumers around the world, and that's what's. Uh, certainly helping this 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 sort of new look European stock market. Yes, and that's and that's an interesting characteristic uh, of European uh, stock markets and European companies uh, generally. That um, it is a very international facing market, a bit like the UK is an international facing market, but in, in a slightly different way. The the, the UK is uh, is reflects global trends in things like energy with big oil companies, for example. But the European markets are very much a market of exporters. Um, and, and that's why the, the, uh, the growth of, of develop, developing markets, emerging markets, is so important to, to Europe. And that's, of course, another reason why European stock markets have done so well over the last six months, of course. It's not just about what was going on in Europe. It was also about the opening up of the Chinese economy uh, and how beneficial that would be to the likes of LVMH and L'Oreal, which make a very high proportion of their sales in in, in overseas markets. I, 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 I had some figures on this. I, it's, I think it's only something like 20% of the sales of these big European companies actually come from Europe. Um, a third right. of them are from North America and a third of them from Asia. So as a way of um, gaining an exposure to uh, the, the, the global economy, um, European shares are, are actually a, a quite an effective way of doing that. Yeah, and, and this is all well and good, Tom, but I, I suppose listeners are going to be asking themselves, well, have we missed a boat? You know, you're telling us about this, all this growth that we've seen in these companies over the past few months. Well, what is there left to, to go? Uh, so I'll ask you that, really. What are the prospects for these companies to continue their good run? But also more widely, what should a, a sensible allocation to Europe be over the longer term? Because I think a lot of UK investors might underweight Europe versus what perhaps they should include. Yes, well, I, talk, I talked about the the growth prospects for the for these companies, which are you know pretty good and certainly much higher than than many other companies uh, in the region. Uh, they they also generate um, 
uh, pretty good um, income stream. I mean, the, so the, the yield on on those eleven companies averages out at about two and a half percent, which which doesn't sound enormous, but um, you've got to remember that interest rates and bond yields are much lower in in Europe, so that's that's reasonably attractive. It doesn't come for free, of course. It doesn't come mm-hmm. cheap. Uh, the, these companies do trade on a more expensive valuation multiple than their peers, because pe- when people talk about Europe, uh, and I I'm, I'm guilty of this as, as much as anyone else, I say, oh, well, Europe is much cheaper than the US, for example. And at an aggregate level, that's true. Uh, the European mm. stock markets are cheaper than the US stock markets. But these particular shares uh, are quite highly rated. So they are probably valued at about 20 or 21 times expected earnings, uh, which is you know, 40%, 50% more expensive than the rest of the European market, for example. So you are having to pay up um, for quality. In terms of your question about allocation, I think I suspect that most people are um, quite significantly um, underweight for the reasons that we mentioned before, about people being much more aware of what's going on in the US and, and, and emerging markets and, of course, our domestic market. But I think, you know, I think an exposure of... Um, I don't know, say 10 to 15 percent would 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 be quite reasonable for for Europe and would and would be nicely a a nicely diversifying feature of a portfolio. Because for the reasons that we've been discussing, the drivers of the European stock market are quite different from the drivers of the US market or, or emerging markets, for example. Indeed, indeed, Tom. Well, that's um, uh, really insightful. Yeah, it's something I hadn't thought about, but um, I will be paying much more attention to Europe in the months and years ahead, I think. Um, But listen, Tom, that is all the time we have for now. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Ed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.